welcome. It is good to be back with you. It's Justin again here, Justin Tarosian, helping bring you the Sabbath School podcast for this week. This week is lesson four of this third quarter of the year that we are in, and it is called The Cost of Rest. So as we dive into this shorter than usual Sabbath School lesson and podcast, just want to invite you to bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and thank you for the privilege of teaching your word to those who are wanting to live by your word through understanding and applying your word. Bless us now as we study about the cost of rest. Fill us with your spirit and use us to lead others to a clear understanding of you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The memory text for this week is a beautiful verse, Psalm 51 verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This is a prayer of King David after the whole episode with Bathsheba and Uriah. And there's a beautiful song to that. Google it, Create in Me a Clean Heart, O God, or look it up on YouTube. It's a beautiful scripture song that is powerful to learn and to know. And I want to encourage you to check that out because it's beautiful. So moving on with the lesson and diving right, David, and of course the quarter, we're talking about rest this quarter. So what in the world does the story of David have to do with rest? Before we get there, I just wanted to share briefly about my wife and I, Sharissa and I, we recently went on vacation. We had a holiday and we went to the south coast of New South Wales. And I have to confess I thought that everything south of Sydney or Wollongong would have just been muddy, murky, ugly beaches off the coastline and nothing really to see, because surely if it was something great to see, I would have heard about it by now. But I was and we were pleasantly surprised. It is gorgeous. The south coast is incredible. We were there for nine days, took a day to drive down, a day to drive back. We got to see Jarvis Bay and we stayed in Malua Bay, south of Batemans Bay by a little bit and went to the Kangaroo Valley and it was beautiful. We saw seals and whales and dolphins and a wombat. I saw my first wombat outside of the zoo at least. And we also got to see, let's see, a diamondback python. We saw kangaroos on the beach. And most of all, the seals and the stingrays were incredible because they accompanied us on the Mill Bay boardwalk. As we walked one direction, the seal cruised next to us in the water. And the stingray, the opposite direction, joined us coming back almost a full kilometer just cruising next to us. It was incredible. We came back so rested and feeling so much better and ready to tackle whatever work may have for us and what the Lord may have for us in His work. There's something very special and significant about getting away and having rest. Jesus even told His disciples, come away to yourselves to a quiet and deserted place and rest a while. So Jesus said, come away and rest a while. Friend, if you have been flying from one thing to the next for far too long, carve out some time, get away with some loved ones, get out into nature, reconnect with God, and you will come back more capable and uh, ready to tackle whatever work God has given you to do. But finding rest is not just a matter of planning. We can't determine our own destiny. Now, it's important to plan time away. Our destiny is not a matter of just choice and planning, and we don't have the ability to bring true rest to our own souls. Only God can give us the rest that we need. Only in Christ can we find rest and satisfaction for our souls. And being with Christ and doing that actually 
prepares us to be able to work more effectively for him in whatever we do and to have peace in the midst of the busyness and in the midst of the work. David, King David. This is uh, a reminder of his story. We're going to fly through it just briefly together here today. One balmy spring evening, King David was atop of his roof in his palace. He was looking out of his palace and um, he happened to see, the Bible says, was a very beautiful woman taking a bath on her roof. So she would not have been clothed. So he looks out, he sees a naked woman on the housetop, one of the housetops down below. Now, King David should not have even been here at this point in the story. He should have been with his army on the other side of the Jordan because that's where they were. They were heading to defeat the Ammonites and bring peace to God's kingdom. So David should not have been there. That's the first lesson that we can draw from this. When we are in a place that we should not be, we can expect temptation to come knocking on our door. Temptation knocked in the form of a woman, her name was Bathsheba, taking a bath on the king's roof. Now, very interesting, just something, some food for thought. This is not said anywhere in inspiration, but it is very possible. I have a friend and normally we say, oh, the poor woman, he sent for her. She came, she had to sleep with him because she was the, he was the king and she became pregnant as the story goes. Her husband was away at war, Uriah, leading the army. And obviously he wasn't the one that would have gotten her pregnant. David uh, took the next step that we'll get to in a minute, but I just wanna hit the pause button to mention what one of my friends actually believes. She says, I don't think that Bathsheba was completely blameless in the matter. Going up on her rooftop, she would have been aware that she was within eyeshot, that she could be seen by the king's palace. And in a country and culture where being naked in public was such a shameful and not a thing to do, she would have had to have known what she was doing, my friend suggested. And I think my friend, she might be right. That seems to make sense to me. Maybe Bathsheba was not actually innocent in the matter. But that aside, not really the main, it doesn't have anything to do with the main point of our study today, but just something to, to think about, to file away. As we get back to the story, we find that David schemed up a plan, and you can read this all in 2 Samuel chapter 11, to bring Uriah home to his wife. But when Uriah came, he was a man of such amazing reputation and character and integrity that he said, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house and eat and drink and to lie with my wife? That's 2 Samuel 11 verse 11. So, in spite of David's attempt to get Uriah to sleep with Bathsheba, he did not. And as the story goes, David had him put at the very front of the line in the hottest battle and basically caused him to be killed. So David now was not only guilty of adultery, but David was also guilty of murder. And the craziest thing is, David seemed to be convincing himself that it was okay. He was deceiving himself out of actually feeling a great sense of remorse and sin. But then steps onto the scene, Nathan, the prophet. Nathan and David had known each other quite well. Nathan had counseled David on his plans to build the temple. And now through the prophet, God was going to speak very clearly. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan chooses to tell a story instead of just openly rebuking David and saying, look at what you've done, don't you realize? He actually told a story and let David condemn himself through his own words, thinking he was talking about someone else. He tells a story that David could relate to as a former shepherd, of course, 
And David, who typically had a high sense of integrity or justice at least, proclaimed his own condemnation. Finally, when David pronounced his own death sentence, and then Nathan said, what should be done to the man? And David says, oh, he should be killed, and this should be done, and that should be done. And Nathan told him the words, you are. This would have been a big slap in the face. And of course, Nathan would have done it with boldness, but God gives us bold messages because he loves us. And that's something we should always remember, whether it's through his prophets or whether it's through his word, which was written by his prophets, of course, and came to us through the gift of prophecy. God speaks to us through his word and he rebukes us at times because he loves us. Now, something clicked in David's mind and something tore within his heart. He realized, I've sinned. I'm a murderer. I'm an adulterer. I've made this woman an adulteress. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord. Very interesting. Why does he say I've sinned against the Lord instead of I've sinned against Uriah and Bathsheba? Because David realized that sin is primarily an affront against God. It's an attack on God. Listen to this. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 722. The prophet's rebuke touched the heart of David. Conscience was aroused. His guilt appeared in all its enormity. His soul was bowed in penitence before God. With trembling lips he said, I have sinned against the Lord. All wrong done to others reaches back from the injured one to God. David committed a grievous sin, both toward Uriah and Bathsheba, and he keenly felt this. But infinitely greater was his sin God. Powerful quote. So David unwittingly pronounces judgment upon himself. The restlessness of his heart because of sin desired for something that he could not have because he was not satisfying himself in the God who gives us peace and rest. He acted out in this way. He became an adulterer and a murderer. And when he was confronted with his sin, he confessed his sin very honestly and sincerely to God. And friends, I'm so glad that the confession, the genuine confession of our sin and the request for God to forgive our sins is a prayer that God never hesitates to answer. And that is good news. Nathan told him in 2 Samuel 12, verse 13, he's, it's, he said, the Lord has put away your sin. In other words, David, you don't have to have a waiting period. God has forgiven your sins. He's forgiven you and you are forgiven now. Of course, that didn't mean it was to be without consequences. The child that was to be born was going to die. This was the first consequence that would take place. And as we read on, we realize that David's family, this would have really ruined, to, to a large degree, his family. We see later Amnon and Absalom, just disasters in those stories. And his family was truly in disarray, all because of his sin. And Patriarchs and Prophets also mentions that after this sin, David was never the same. He was always weaker and couldn't really discipline his children because he was broken because of the sin that he'd committed and what he'd realized the significance was. Now, what was David's feeling? How did he feel after this? What did he yearn for? Psalm 51 tells us, let's just read verses 1 to 6. He prays, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make known 
wisdom. You will make me to know wisdom. So here David publicly opened his heart and confessed his sins. He cried for mercy and appealed to God's unfailing love and his great compassion. He yearned for renewal. He wanted to be renewed in Christ. When we consider that the rest, the cost of rest in Jesus is so high, that Jesus had to give his life and die for it, we will be the first to recognize that we need outside help, that we as sinners need a Savior, that when we sin, we need to cry out to the only one who can wash us and cleanse us and renew us. And when we do this, we can take courage. For example, here's an adulterer, a manipulator, a murderer, David, who violated at least five of the Ten Commandments, but he called out for help and he claimed the promise of God's forgiveness. And question, if God forgave David for what he did, what hope is there then for you and me? Will God forgive? Will he be able to blot out our sins? Absolutely. We need not hesitate once again. It's the prayer that God never hesitates to answer, the sincere prayer for the forgiveness of our sins. Moving on, David says this, verses 7 to 12. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Now hyssop was used in the temple. It was used in the ritual cleansing of a sinner. And according to the law of Moses in Leviticus 14, and David was pointing to the power of the sacrifice that happened in the temple, the blood of which could cleanse the sinner. David was pointing to the sacrifice of Christ, the only means by which we may have forgiveness and joy and gladness and true rest. He goes on in verses 10 and 11, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. David understood that future victories would not come to him. They would only come from God to him and through him if he depended fully and completely upon God. In Japan, there is a traditional art called kintsugi, and kintsugi specializes in recreating broken pottery. Precious metal put into liquid form, melted down into the gold like gold or silver, is used to glue the broken pieces together and to turn the broken item into something of beauty and of value. And an incredible illustration of how God recreates the broken pieces of our lives, broken because of sins that we have committed or maybe others have committed against us. And God can blend them together and orchestrate them together to look like something beautiful and to be something beautiful. He can do a new thing in your life. He did it in David's life and he can do it in yours. He can do it in mine as well. Friends, as we close, just because song can sometimes stick in our minds more than you know, spoken words, I'd like to sing to you um, Psalm 51 verses 10 and 11. It's called Create in Me a Clean Heart. If you don't know it, find somebody who's going to be able to sing it much better than me on YouTube singing this and may it bless you by reminding you that we can pray this prayer through song anytime. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. 
Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and renew a right spirit within me. Father in heaven, this is our prayer. We pray that you would create in us a clean heart, that you would renew in us a right spirit. May we clearly recognize and see the sins that we commit and the the harm that they do in breaking your heart and in damaging those around us so that we can confess it to you. And we thank you that you have the promise that you give us that when we do confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, purge us, cleanse us, transform us. Create in us a new heart day by day, we ask. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.